Geek Top 5, Season 5. I'm so happy you're here. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> this is so exciting. Geek Top 5. I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And the celebration season is upon us. It is the end of 2021, and boy, how did that happen? Uh, One day at a time. Yeah, right? Like, time is both flying by and barely moving. It's like Schrodinger's time. It's a quantum (laughs) thing. I'm sure if we work on it, we can use it to figure out how to do faster than light travel. Uh, But for the time being, this is the... The annual? I mean, this is the second time we're doing it, so I think that makes it annual. The annual end-of-year sort of retrospective at what Geek Top 5 liked best about 2021. Um, This is going to be pretty casual, I think. This isn't even really dueling lists, right? This is more just a what's cool. Yeah, well, we'll we'll see how how we stack up. I think we'll have some things the same and some things different. I will say that it's probably... You know, it's probably the pandemic is at least partly to blame. I didn't feel like there was a ton of really strong stuff. Like, my list isn't stuff that I'm especially enamored with. But to me, it was the best stuff that I, you know, watched or played during the the year. Like, new stuff that came out. But none of it was really earth-shattering. Yeah, I don't think I'm looking back at 2021 as that was the year, but uh, I don't think a lot of people are. Um, Also, like you, a lot of watched and a lot of played, a lot of escapism on this list, so that tells you everything you need to know. (laughs) (laughs) But but yeah, these are the the five geeky things of 2021. Uh, Certainly on my list, and I expect on Graham's as well, just about all of these discussed more in detail in previous episodes. So if we happen to fasten on something that you actually haven't seen or watched or whatever it was, and you go, hey, that sounds cool, uh, please feel free to check our back catalog of episodes from this year. I think this is going to be more of a quick summary and then just sort of what it meant to us throughout the year. But I know on some of these, we spent a lot of time going into super detail, so that's available there if you want it. Yeah, yeah, definitely a lot of that. A few things that haven't been discussed for one reason or another, and we, I'm sure we'll get into that when we get to them. Well, yeah, no time like the present. Uh, Well, then, on that note, you gave me the perfect segue. Uh, No time like the present, and uh, number five, no time to die. Ooh, didn't make my list, but I can can understand. It's a seminal Bond moment in history. Yeah, I think a lot of it had to do with the build-up for it. You know, this has been so many years in the making, and to finally have it be released and be satisfying means that it, it had to be on my list. It's... A beautiful movie, and it's a great send-off for Daniel Craig's Bond, and uh, what a way to end it. Uh, I, if you've been listening to previous episodes, you kind of you, you know how it ends, but I guess that we won't spoil it here, since we're just doing brief summaries. But they really, truly put a period on the whole, whole franchise, or at least the whole Daniel Craig era, in a way that I, at least I never thought they would do. Mm, for certain, if you haven't heard it yet, check out our No Time to Die, like, full in-depth discussion with us and Bond expert Kinman Smith. Um, <laughs> dude knows his Bond. But yeah, it's it's interesting. Like, James Bond sort of stands aside from just from other franchises in a way, you know? There's something 
classy about it. There's something regal about it. Like, like going to a new Star Wars movie, I like Star Wars, but a James Bond movie is always an event. And I think because of the this being the capstone of that, this was like the event of events. It, it certainly was a big deal. Yeah, and like you were saying about it being a more of an event than, than, say, a lot of the franchise stuff, I think it goes back to when going to a movie was a, a, an important thing. Like, it would be a thing that you would do that week. You might get dressed up for it. You, it, It's a cultural thing that you would, you would have your... You, you know your dates on you would there's there's a lot of import put on movies especially a movie like this where the characters are all dressed up and you're seeing these exotic locales and the bond franchise kind of it didn't age gracefully there are a lot of periods in it where it it lost its way a bit or at least got stuck in ruts and i think with the daniel craig era it found its footing again and and reclaimed its classiness and reclaimed its uh, air of importance, and uh, this was, it felt like an important movie. You know, when I went to see it with Kinman, he dressed up for the occasion. Like, not a tuxedo, but he was dressed nicer than I was. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I imagine that's often the case. No offense to you. I've Very seen true. a lot of your t-shirts. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> But yeah, it's, I guess so. Maybe it's a holdover from the days when it was more of a, a more of an experience and less of a just something to kill time until I have to go back to work, right? Right. Like, um, and it helps that James Bond, I mean, uh, given an outdated impression, somewhat an outdated interpretation, but is a classy. He's a classy guy doing classy things. It's a classy event. And so having this be a super important Bond movie, that's that's a fair point. It um, it did not make my list. Uh, well, I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, it's just because I'm not terribly invested in the James Bond franchise. I mean, I like the Bond movies I've seen, but it doesn't have that same death grip on me that it does. I mean, well, on Kinman, for instance, where <laughs> it's a formative part of his life and his, you know, in a way, his career. Um, it's uh, so it. It's more than just another movie to me, but I think it's less the, the the impact that you're looking for. And also because, well, overall, I do think it was a great movie. There are parts of it I didn't like. I did, you know, again, check out that episode for more details, but I do think it ran a tad long. And there were some decisions I would have changed and some things I would have done differently. Totally reasonable. I, I would say another thing that, that made it more important for, for me and for my list is there weren't many opportunities to go to the movie theater this year, or, or especially all things considered pandemic and everything. Even when it was safe, quote unquote, to go to the movie theater, I think for a lot of us, it had to be something big to get us to go out. It wasn't, you wouldn't just go to a movie theater just because for most for the most of us it had to be something important and this felt like a reason to go out like we it was it was a great excuse to go out and see it and and it, it felt justified yeah i can see that that's a good point so it's you know the return to the public and the return to the movie theater and make, making it a james bond movie instead of just you know tom cruise jumps off of another helicopter that, yeah, right. <laughs> I can see that. That's That makes a big difference. Okay, well, why don't we jump to your number five? 
My number five, uh, some similarities, but only surface level, not really. For my number five thing of 2021, well, geeky thing of 2021, uh, I'm picking the release of Hitman 3, the video game, uh, the conclusion to the World of Assassination trilogy, uh, which we talked about, if you want to listen to that, very early in 2021, because this came out January 20th. Uh, the short, short version, you're, 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 you're playing this video game, you're a hitman, you're trying to sneak in, hit your target, and get out undetected. But a big part of this game, it's a, it's a spy thriller, it's, you know, it's twisty and turny and who can you trust, but it really is a vehicle for revenge against the 1%. And... I mean, a lot of things are going on, not just the pandemic, and being able to fictionally take out your frustration on, like, you know, the managers of banks and wealthy celebrities and all the, like, you know, people, like, tax-avoiding the 1%. That's, they have a name for it. I don't know why I keep <laughs> trying to describe it. Um, it was definitely, it, it, it was, you know, letting the steam out. There's, you know, a lot of us are, you know, struggling with bills and, you know, a, a lot of inequality has really been highlighted due to the changes in the world over the last couple of years. This was a completely ineffective but fun way to deal with it and it was a fun way to feel good. Yeah, I remember you talking about it and I, I loved playing the first game many, 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 many years ago and I've always had a soft spot for the franchise, but, um... None of it, none of the ones I tried after that first one didn't click the same way the first one did. And so I kind of dropped it for a while there. But your review of this one made me interested in checking out some of the others. I still haven't actually done it, but, and that's why it's not on my list, but I am more interested in giving it a shot than I would have been otherwise. And uh, yeah, so I, I definitely want to check it out. I, it, uh, one of your other video game reviews got me to pick up a uh, Mario game, which I hadn't done in a long time, and I loved it. So hopefully when I do get this Hitman game, it will blow me away the same way uh, it did you. And to tie it together, the people who made this game are making a James Bond game. Yeah, the people specifically the people who made this like acclaimed trilogies. Very excited to see what they come up with. Um, point of order for those of you in the audience like Graham who are like, hey, maybe I'll give that a shot. Um, the Hitman games in this trilogy are, I guess, I'm not sure what the word is. I'm going to go with backwards compatible. But what I mean is if you go out and buy Hitman 3, then what you can do is you can purchase additional DLC for it that gives you all the missions and story from Hitman 1 and 2. Does it does it upgrade the graphics for them, or is it just like essentially buying the other games? It's it, it's a little bit better, um, and there's some integration across all three games that's mm. interesting in ways I don't want to spoil. Um, but that is the the I mean if you're if you're feeling about God, it's hard to say like if you just want to try it out you could just try it out and the logic for that you'd say you want to start at Hitman One. Uh, but I'm saying no, like, get Hitman 3, yeah, there's spoilers to the story, a little, and if you like it, then you can double back to where the trilogy started and just carry through, and, and again, you heard it from Graham, like, it's, you know, so far I've got a 100% success rate of my review and recommendations, <laughs> I highly recommend this one, I mean, besides all the stuff we talked about, like, there are just so many cool variations of this especially in hitman 3 in particular there is there is one great level that is extraordinarily heavily influenced by the movie knives out also with daniel mm. craig 
Weird how that's, we're staying in this thing. Uh, basically, to get to your target, you have to first, like, investigate and solve a murder in this, you know, ye olde, super rich English family home. And get to the, you know, the bottom of this conspiracy that's happening in the family. Uh, there's another level that takes place in a German nightclub, which is just a crazy setting for the kind of stealth action that you've sort of gotten used to doing. There's a great, like, Hitman has a lot of different ways to accomplish your objectives. And one of them in that level is this incredibly over-involved thing where you basically sabotage the lighting and electrics rig and then impersonate the DJ and, like, rile up the crowd <laughs> and then, like, lure the targets into the right place and then set off all the crazy effects and stuff. Like, it's it's really clever and really cool and a lot of fun. And there are so many different things to do in it. And, and there's multiple ways to complete each level right it's not a linear necessarily oh, oh yeah i mean you like to progress through the story you you knock out the target to complete the level you're going to be doing it five or six times and it's like 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 the basic objectives are like well kill a target with the pistol kill a target with the piano wire kill a target by making it look like an accident kill it then there's like very specific chains um yeah, there are so many examples to put. So the first level in the first Hitman is at a fashion show. And the super dramatic accomplishment, the way to do that is to lure the target like out onto the runway and then collapse the stage effects onto him. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Well, one of the things I liked about the original game going way back was that you... You're this giant bald man and uh, with a barcode on the back of your neck. But if you dressed up like a waiter at a Chinese restaurant, no one would think twice about it. And then in the <laughs> second game, they changed it so that people would get suspicious of you even if you dressed up. And I was like, this is a level of realism that kind of detracts from the fun of the game. And it, that is where it lost me a little bit. Did they course correct on that for these there, updates? There is a healthy middle ground. Um, mm. Most of like what parts of the area you're allowed to be in are based on your outfit, but there's also a specific class of like whatever they are, guards or cops or whoever, like whoever's the people you need to worry about in the mission. And they're marked so you know who they are, but like they're the ones who are like, like they know the guys on their team and they'll right. recognize by your face if you're not one of them. So they give you that little warning that, like, okay, so you, you've stolen the construction worker's outfit. Now you can get on the construction site. But this one here, this, this guy is a construction manager, and he knows the guys in his crew, and he doesn't have, like, a six-foot-eight, you know, pale white bald man <laughs> on his crew. So it's sort of a happy middle ground. Okay. I like that. Yeah. There are definitely some areas where it's still stretched. Um, one chain of events in a mission takes place in a Bollywood set, and you are Definitely the whitest guy there. <laughs> um, also, some not entirely flattering Bollywood stereotypes, but then again, Sonali loved them. Absolutely loved it. So, uh, so maybe it's you know it's making fun of with love. That, but but either way, uh, we, we're talking about this for too long. We should move on. Hitman Three. It's available for all the the modern consoles. I think there's even a cloud version that's playable for Switch. Um, I played it on PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5. Uh, it's great. It will fill up a lot of time. It'll make you use your brain, uh, and it's got like kind of an interesting sort of thriller story to it. Highly recommended. Okay, so for my number four, I am going to do... I've lumped them all together. I'm doing Marvel TV, all the shows released on Disney Plus this year. 
Well, I do have that exact same thing, but I have it higher up on my list. Okay, well, we'll get to it when we get to it then. We will. Okay, well then I will jump in with my number four. Uh, another video game, but the only other video game on my list. I can hear you're surprised. <laughs> At number four, um, cool geeky things in 2021, I wanted to put uh, Doom Eternal, The Ancient Gods Part 2. Um, the last DLC and conclusion to the story of the modern incarnation of the Doom video games. Oh man, so it's not not even a full game, it's the DLC specifically? It's specifically the DLC came out in March of 2021. Um, The original, like Doom Eternal, the second, yeah, part, the second part of the modern version of this Doom reboot came out actually in March of 2020. So it came out like at the dawn of the pandemic. Uh, And and this, uh, you know, and then a year later, they released the last of the extra content for it. I don't think we've gone into this in detail. Maybe I certainly have with Doom Eternal, but like Doom, the video game, we all remember it because our parents were terrified of kids playing it because it had guns in it, and who knows what that would have done to our fragile little minds. Um, It got a reboot in 2016, a modernized version, Doom, and it's great. The sequel, Doom Eternal, coming out in 2020, the... The concept is still essentially the same. It's there's it's the near future and it's hell on earth and hell is invading and you're the you're the one man who's you know standing between earth and oblivion and you shoot and mess up a bunch of demons until it's over. Um, the premise in this game has been updated to that you're actually kind of a biblical event. the The line in the game is the only thing they fear is you. The we have myths and legends about demons. Demons have myths and legends about you. You are here, as prophesied, to kick their asses. <laughs> and it is probably my favorite power fantasy. Uh, whereas Hitman sort of gives you a sense of, like, a false, but a sense of control. And, you know, being in charge of your surroundings and being able to change the thing. Like, Doom just makes you feel like an unstoppable, unconquerable hero and again, in the face of the you know the pandemic of feeling a little powerlessness, that's great. Uh, Doom Eternal ends. It's you've stopped the invasion you know, from hell. You've you've been up to that game's equivalent of heaven and dealt with a sort of two timing angel. Then the DLC came out, and it's like, well, where do we go from here? Only one place to go. Now God and the devil are getting involved, <laughs> <laughs> and the climax of this DLC is the sort of a la heavy metal cartoons invasion of hell, the the counterattack. And it is one of the most empowering experiences I've ever had in my life. It's a great video game. I'm sure we've detailed it more in depth in previous episodes. But what I'm saying is if this year a lot of us were feeling frustrated, a lot of us were feeling like we didn't have a handle on things, if you want to feel like... You know, everyone needs to bow down before you. This was the way to do it. And it's only a little bit blasphemous. And, you know, they they changed some terms around and stuff, so it's okay. But... <laughs> so how, how long is the DLC? Like, how long did it take you to complete this uh, hunt of God and the Devil? I would say, so there's, so the Ancient Gods is the DLC, there's part one and part two, part two is the one I'm referencing specifically, together, 
I'd say they're probably about the like about the same length as two thirds of the original campaign. So it's pretty hmm. meaty. Uh, it's also worth noting that it's also like these are challenging levels. The like Doom has a variety of difficulty settings, and even at the standard one, it's it's very adrenaline heavy. It's not a cover shooter. Like we had a lot of years of those, like thanks to Gears of War, those first person shooter games where you spent a lot of time like ducking behind walls waiting for your health to come back. That's not this. This is constant and intense. And in the ancient gods, they really ramp it up. Like you are moving without stopping and you are on the edge of your seat for 20, 25 minutes at a time. And if you get killed, you go back to the beginning. So some of that length is that it's a challenge. And they're pretty good, the people who designed this game, about making you want to do it. Very rarely are you ever at the point where you're like, this is ridiculous. I can't, like, this is stupid. I'm not playing this. Like, you always feel like, okay, okay, I can do better. I can, I see what I did. I see what I can do differently. Let me at them. I want, and some of that is maybe just the adrenaline again, because I'm working myself up just describing it. <laughs> okay. So, one of the things that the franchise is known for is its uh, guns. Uh, what kind of, are there new guns for this DLC? There are a couple of new weapons and a couple of new surprises for the DLC. I'm going to leave it at that. Um, Because they're fun and they're fun to discover and also kind of specific. And just like I wouldn't be able to convey the proper backstory. But yeah, Doom is a I mean, Doom Doom is the classic gun juggler, right? You know, a lot of more realistic shooters or games like Halo like, will let you carry you know, a pistol and a rifle at the same time. Well, the Doom Marine could always carry, you know, a pistol and a shotgun and a better shotgun and a machine gun and a rocket launcher and a laser thing. <laughs> like, right. I remember the the uh, shooters, the first person shooters from back in the day. And like with Wolfenstein 3D, it w- there was a gun for every number on the keyboard. Yep. For a while, that was the accepted method. Like, that's just how you change guns in video games. So you could have ten guns, and you would... Yeah, they still do that in this one. I mean, it's on an analog stick now. It's a little bit improved because, like, of all the guns you have, like, every two of them share a type of ammunition. So it's like, if you use too much of one, you can't use the other. And certain things are more effective in certain situations. Like, a big part of this game is learning what to use when. Um... It's, I'm not going to... It would be too generous to say it's sort of like a puzzle-solving element. It's like you figure it out, then it's just your reflexes. Um, but it's a blast. And again, I'm getting into too much detail. But yeah, it's it takes these inc- like the most epic scenario possible, you know, right out of the Bible, and puts you in there as like the most important person in it. And it just... This entire game has been so good at making you feel amazing and invulnerable, and this is the best of that. Um, I'm actually on a second playthrough of this now. Ancient Gods Part 2 came out in March. Um, I cleared it and put it away, and about a month ago I started playing through the original campaign again, and now I'm on Ancient Gods Part 1, and just loving that adrenaline, loving that feeling you know, feeling awesome. <laughs> That's great. Uh, I, I will put it on the list. It doesn't really sound up my alley right now with, with the, uh, the the carnage and the, the challenge, but uh, at some point I think I'll, I'll be ready for something like that again. So uh, why don't I jump over to my number three. It is also in the vein of uh, violent, over-the-top 
uh, shenanigans. I'm going to say the Suicide Squad movie from this year, August 2021. Wow, really? I, not on my list? And wow. I, uh, <laughs> okay, I, no, it, it, here, lay I, your stuff out for me here. I was kind of, uh, I, I knew you, you didn't feel it the, about it the same way that I did, and uh, so I'm kind of excited to, for the conversation, because we never really talked about it on the show. Uh, the the premise is that uh, the Suicide Squad, Amanda Waller, has the team brought back together and a bunch of other characters uh, uh, that we are meeting for the first time in this. This is being the sequel to the to just Suicide Squad, which came out many years ago now. But the team is sent to an island nation called Corto Maltese, and they find a... Uh, they're trying to do stuff with the government, but really what they're there for is to make sure that the secret of a giant alien starfish that can control people's minds doesn't get released to the general public. And, uh, it is, so James Gunn is a director who did best known for doing the guardians of the galaxy movies, but he has always had a flair for the unusual and the somewhat grotesque, but finding, I guess the beauty in the grotesque. And this movie really capitalizes on that. There's a lot of weirdness and a lot of violence, but there's a heart to it. And, and I think the last movie tried to have heart like that whole we're a ragtag family thing but it never earned it they just sort of told you we're all friends now and and we're a, a family and in this the group of characters you you by the end of it you buy that they've bonded and you buy that they're a team and on top of that it's just a beautiful looking movie with a fun mix of retro style looks and sort of modern cinematography and and special effects and I, I just really liked it. I had a blast at the theater, and I, I kind of hankering to see the movie again. Wow! I <laughs> wow! I mean, yeah. I think my my comment of it when I came out of it was I said it was way better than the first one. And yes, but that's not it, saying much. Yeah, which isn't saying much. Uh, I forgot most of this movie before I got home from the theater. <laughs> Um, I didn't have a bad time, but I just found it kind of humdrum, and I'm just like, I don't know, maybe my heart needs to grow three sizes before I before I try it again. Um, boy, there was a the so there was Rat Girl, Rat Catcher two, uh huh, and she liked Idris Elba, who's not the character Will Smith played in the first one, but otherwise is completely identical to that character. Well, see, that's one of the things that I, I really liked about the twist on it. In the first Suicide Squad movie, Will Smith's character, who was Deadshot... Yes, has this, Deadshot, thank you. ...this uh, touching relationship with his daughter, and, and he's like this single dad who's trying to do right by her, and she's this angelic, wonderful girl. And in this, Idris Elba's daughter is a mess, and he doesn't like her, and she doesn't like him, and it's it's taking that premise, but flipping it on its head and they they still gets used ultimately in a similar way where Amanda Waller is threatening the daughter in some way to make these guys comply but the fact that their relationship isn't sugar-coated and beautiful it added a I don't know but a, a, a realism to it but just a different spin on it than you're used to seeing in these things this was not a criminal with a heart of gold like Deadshot was sort of portrayed as this was a bad guy who isn't liked by anyone who 
just had the last shreds of decency in him used, uh, manipulated in order to get him to, to work with the team. See, I didn't feel like that was earned. Like I, because I felt like none of the characters were portraying that level of depth. I don't know okay. if it was just the amount of time that we got to spend with them, or if it's something in their performance. But I mean, I understand this isn't a great argument considering the context. But they all were sort of these surface level comic book characters. <laughs> Um, and I'm okay with that. It's a comic book movie. One of the characters is an anima- like an animatronic shark. Uh, but like, you can't take, you know, it would be like if we had a long touching scene with He-Man and his son. <laughs> and we got plenty of that in Revelations. Well, but we didn't because He-Man is a ultimately an incredibly simple and kind of uninteresting character. He's fun. But if there was a whole thing where he sort of had to work out his like uh, his issues with his kid, you'd be like, "This isn't." I just go ride oh, okay. a dinosaur and throw a sword at something. Except, I mean, we're this, we're getting way off topic. But I have to say, as soon as you started talking about that, I was thinking about rampaging He Man, getting hugged by his dad, and his, which we talked about. And I, I was <laughs> saying, I didn't think that worked. But it's it's there. <laughs> And but it's, I feel like it's not earned, and mm-hmm. like Suicide Squad, I felt like it didn't earn that kind of emotional depth, and by trying to include it, like I think the smarter way to, to include it would be what they did with the, the polka dot guy, right, where we find out he has, he's got some kind of complex about his mom for some reason, yeah. and when he's, when he's mad, like we cut to his point of view, and all the characters like have his mom's face, it's like... That's the level of emotional depth I'm looking for from the Suicide Squad. Just, like, silly, stupid jokes. Yeah, but but still, there's a resonance to it, and there's a a, a, a depth to it that the other ones didn't... The, the previous one didn't have. Like Again, that was... not a high bar. But, <laughs> yes, I agree with you 100%. This movie was so much better than the first Suicide Squad. Uh, yeah. Harley <laughs> Quinn, uh, you know, as... She and we've I think we've discussed this before. She is the standout part of the first one and she's largely there for eye candy, but she has a magnetic performance and it's a, it it works. And in this they give her more to do. She's not she's much less there just to service the male gaze. She's there. She has agency. She has things that she needs to accomplish and and does them well and there's there's a lot of good stuff there and yeah, uh, but I didn't feel like it's anything that she didn't already do in her own movie and the the birds of fury and birds of, prey. E- birds of prey and what you know and even some of the things that she did in the first one like I feel like there she's has complicated relationships and has slow motion killing people scenes <laughs> Um, and the slow motion killing people scene was pretty good, but like I've seen her kill people in slow motion a lot. Okay, but by that standard, you could say that uh, you know Batman's got mommy issues and uh, likes to say I'm Batman a lot, and I've seen that a million times. But we still go to see it again, and it's always enjoyable. I just I think it's done better in most Bat, not all, but most Batman. <laughs> I just. I don't know. I, f- I think what I'm getting around to is that I think that the new Suicide Squad, it straddles a line between like having the, the like a really in-depth character story and this incredibly goofy, bizarre comic book story. And it sort of, it swerves over the line a little too much. Like the two parts of it didn't integrate very well. Okay. Um, 
and uh, I mean, and I feel like that's backed up because, uh, like, you know, it it did okay. It didn't do great. Although that's, I mean, who can tell during a pandemic anyway? That might not be its fault. Exactly, and I also don't necessarily think box office is the way to go because the last Suicide Squad movie made a ton of money, and we all agree it wasn't very good. And in fact, that may be part of the reason the bo- the box office on this wasn't very good because people, a lot of people, saw the first one and were like, "I am never paying for that again." Yeah, they didn't even really change the title. Like that was a bad call. Like the first one was Suicide Squad, and this was the Suicide Squad. Is that what it was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. It's so silly. Like I, when I went to buy the ticket, I said, "Can I get uh, two for Suicide Squad?" Oh, excuse me, the Suicide Squad. It's just like, why? Yeah, like like bad call. Like if I'm gonna go like look it up on IMDb, or one day for some reason I'm gonna like you know look for it to like like to rent or to stream. Like I'm not gonna know which one I'm looking at because they have very similar characters, a very similar title, and a very similar premise. Anyway. I mean, I'm not here to tear you down most of the time. Um, did not make my list. I was not impressed by it. It, uh, it, I did not, it did not even, like, I didn't think about it and not put it on my list. It didn't even occur to me that this came out yeah, this year. That's fair. I, I just, one other thing I wanted to say about it is that the, for these kinds of comic book movies and the, the, I guess, Let's just say for this era of comic book movie, especially coming out of DC and Marvel, there was part of the plot of this is this this was a monster that was held in captivity on this uh, this island nation, uh, impoverished island nation. And this the alien was experimented on and the people of the island were experimented on. And it was all done with the knowledge and and permission of the American government. And that's one of the main plot points of the movie. And I think for a comic book movie and a superhero movie specifically, that is, there's a lot of depth there. There's a lot to unpack about uh, America's real life politics and its relations with the rest of the world. And uh, I, I just don't think that gets addressed a lot in these movies, understandably for, you know, two-hour slugfest, but it was a nice uh, addition to this, and, and you, it gives you some food for thought. Yeah, it's... Hmm. It's tricky. Like, I mean, I am familiar... Like, you know, every good like action hero is disavowed by their own government at some point or another, right? I think mm-hmm. it's happened to, to Mission Impossible, like, four out of five movies. Well, um, yeah, James Bond, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, James Bond is getting disavowed all the time. Um... And I, like I'm trying to think of Marvel, and like, the thing that comes to head is Hydra, but they sort of get away with it because it's like, well, it's not the government that's bad; it's just that the government's been corrupted by Hydra. But then they do Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and they sort of had to, like, yeah, the government's bad. We need to believe in people again, not money. Like I, I feel like that's more common uh, than you think, but I'm certainly not against seeing it there. I think it's specifically like I think of Guantanamo Bay and things like that, where they yeah. have taken an island nation and just like it's not part of America, and so they're allowed to do whatever they want to these people, and it's it has more real world parallels that are uh, that are concrete and not just sort of like vague government bad stuff. This is like based on real things. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. That's a fair distinction. Okay. So what uh, what's your number three? Yeah, my number three. Um, the only uh, theater movie on this list, um, I put Dune at number three. 
Okay, well, uh, perhaps unsurprisingly, didn't make my list. Yeah. Um, no, I could, well, maybe. I could have seen maybe. I, I will say I considered it. I considered doing more than you considered the Suicide Squad. Fair. Well, I'm a bit of a jerk that way. You're a nicer boy. <laughs> Um, we talk about Dune in depth um, with fellow Geek Top 5 co-founder Stella um, just a few episodes ago. So if you want to hear more about that, check that out. Um, short, short version from that is loved it for a lot of reasons. Um, was mostly pleased with the way they adapted it from the book. Why does it make my list as like the top like top geeky thing of 2021? I mean, for sure, because I'm because I like Dune a lot. Um, I like that book. Uh, since recording that episode, I've actually been read more of the books than ever before, and I stand by my assertion that the first book is really the only good one. <laughs> uh, uh, maybe read the first three, if you're feeling curious, four. Uh, I'm on, like, 11 or something now. I don't know. The, uh, anyway, the movie, though, I thought was a really cool way to look into that world. I was really pleased with how they did it. But I also am really happy with Dune from the perspective, kind of a pretentious perspective, but because it's so rare for sci-fi to be kind of taken seriously in movies, you know? Yeah, without it having, you know, laser blasters and, and uh, damsels in distress and all that, yeah. Yeah, that's that's it exactly. Like, when a lot of people think sci-fi, they think, like, basically any movie with the word star in it. And none of those movies are winning any awards, you know, nobody's getting any best actor or none of those movies. Like, the people who enjoy film aren't going to be terribly into those movies. But I think this is a, like, this was a sci-fi film, and I'm, I'm pronouncing it with that heavy <laughs> PH in the front, and... This is maybe a reverse bit of pretension on my part, because most of the time that kind of critical analysis of movies drives me crazy. But I think this really succeeded in being, like, I, I could see this, like, almost being described as Oscar bait. Something about the, like, the level of cinematography and the acting and the whole, like, this was some quality effing film. Uh, but it also had spaceships and laser guns and, like, weird languages, like, it, monsters, you know? Like, it had all that kind of stuff that I really like. <laughs> <laughs> I do, yeah, the commitment helps. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it is 100% serious. It's, it's not fun like a Star Wars is or like a JJ Star Trek is. Like it's not it's not there to be like a rip roaring adventure through the stars. Like it's this serious story they're telling, and I like the story a lot, but I also feel like it and again, this sounds so dumb, I wanna hit myself. I, I, but like it sounds it feels like this movie was an accomplishment in filmmaking. For sure. It's a beautiful movie and it's very well made and it's the music's great and the performances are great. There's, there's, I can't hold any of that against it. And it does, I, look, I would not be surprised at all if it was nominated for some big awards come award season. Like even, especially since the, the Oscars, they've, uh, you can, there can be up to nine best picture nominees. It could easily be one of those nine. And that just, as it, from the perspective of a geek, of a lifelong geek, where I grew up, where almost every single thing I was interested in was wrong, like the wrong thing to be interested in. 
like it's it's almost vindictive in a way. Like it's like like yeah, see, I was right. Dune always was cool. <laughs> Take that guy who laughed at me once in fourth grade. You really hold on to these things, huh? I well, that yeah, hmm, I just <laughs> it it's just it it's it's sort of the same thing I had with Marvel where like all of a sudden my mom knows who Iron Man is. Like that was cool, but Marvel is still sillier than it is serious, right? This like the the old thing like our video games art is science fiction art. Like this feels like art. And I love it for that, in addition yeah. to a ton of other sci-fi Dune reasons, which we have discussed in the previous episode. Marvel stuff is meant to appeal to the broadest audience it can possibly find. Like the the I, when they were making those comics, the idea was to sell it to the most people possible, and that's what they're doing with the movies too. And they're doing a great job of that. Dune, they put a lot of barriers to entry in front of it, and so it is that much more impressive that it's been embraced the way it has. It's kind of, to me, almost like the Lord of the Rings movies. Like, there's a lot of reasons why those movies should not have been as popular and successful as they were. There's a lot of silly words and things that you have to buy into. And Dune has that, too. And the the idea of the Fremen and the, uh, the sh- shield sword fighting stuff and all these, the, the mixed language of it but if you can get past that and if they make it seem appealing to get past that it succeeds and and i think the dune movie did a really good job of that mm-hmm. but yeah ultimately i found it a, a little uh dry for my tastes and uh it was a little long in a way that i i didn't find no time to die long yes yeah, i felt the exact opposite but that's just personal taste yeah all right let's uh let's move on Okay, so uh, the I, I'm going to warn you, the uh, top of my list is slightly less geeky than we may uh, have. I mean, that's that's not the name for. of the show. It's not like <laughs> it's not like moderately geeky five. <laughs> so number two, look, you you'll yell at me for my number one. My number two is uh, is Luca. I think it still qualifies. I've the, uh, the I, I don't movie. know because I never saw it. <laughs> Well, you know, I think it's uh, on some level it got derided as like lesser Pixar, but the more time I've had with it in my head, the more I've appreciated it. It it builds a really nice world and it has a lovely story. It's simple. There's not world-shattering stakes. That nothing is is going to explode in this right it's just a nice story and that is really where my head was at this year Uh, like we've talked a lot about star trek discovery having end of the world or end of the universe stakes every season and it's just exhausting and the stakes of this were like is this merman boy gonna be discovered and if not is he gonna be able to go to school is he gonna be able to help his new human friend win the bicycle race it's like just really simple lovely uh, interactions between kids a real coming of age story and i the more i think about it the more that's exactly what i wanted this year from a lot of my entertainment something simple and easy and nice and that's what that movie was 
I mean, I know next to... I mean, now I know that it's about a mermaid pretending to be a human kid who makes friends with a human kid. Well, um, more... more le- Not like Ariel, more like uh, The Shape of Water or like Creature from the Black Lagoon. That kind of person. That... Like, it's a monstrous? Yeah, but when they're on land, they just... They look like normal pe- people. That yeah, okay. never really gets explained... And it doesn't need to be. It would have been ridiculous if they tried to explain it. But when they're dry and on land, they look like people. And so there's uh, all, all these like comic instances of them avoiding getting wet so that they can stay hiding amongst the people. Um, but yeah, and, and it's a it's a classic. This monster boy wants to fit in. He wants to be up there with the where the people are. He wants to be yeah part of their world. Yeah. <laughs> And and very literally, that's what he wants to be. And and but there's the fear of getting caught and the fear of getting killed by the the humans who fear them, hate and fear them, even though they're just they're they're an unknown quantity. And the movie takes place in this, as I recall anyway, kind of this like timeless period. Sometime maybe in the fifties or maybe yesterday in this small village in Italy, and. It's this again the like timelessness of it is really endearing and makes it I think have a staying power that it wouldn't otherwise have. Hmm. I can see that Sasha Baron Cohen is in it, but I assume they toned him down a little. He he's kind of a cameo. He's not in it that much. The okay. main stars... <laughs> that <laughs> that the one main... did just like that, that stood out to me. It was hmm. <laughs> he's this uh weird merman uncle who uh I, I can't remember his name, but he's he's kind of just weird and uh, used as like a warning of like that this could happen to you if you spend too much time on land. You become Sasha Baron Cohen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, we've all we've all had that nightmare. Um, <laughs> I, I, I this I I recognize that I am flawed as a human being (laughs) in that I have never really had the same level of appreciation for Disney Pixar movies that like real humans have. (laughs) Um, You know, again, with my heart being three sizes too small or something, they, they don't, I, you know, I don't go run out to see the latest Disney release. Um, I, I wouldn't either if I were in your shoes. The main reason I saw this was because it was something I could watch with my son, and it really captivated me. Well, I mean, where I'm going with it is that I like I understand that like like those movies like like all the ones I, I've never seen one I really didn't like. Like they're always captivating, they're always touching, they're always heartwarming in a way that I think we probably all could have used this year. Um, so it's probably a very healthy thing to be doing with your time. Maybe emotionally speaking, more healthy than playing Doom Eternal. Like I'm not <laughs> yeah, knocking I just, it. I don't think I have it in me to play Doom Eternal right now. Yeah, I need and, stuff like Luca. Exactly, and that might have been the smarter decision. Like you, like as usual, you're the smarter between the two of us. <laughs> you're making the better decisions. So I, I, I totally get that, and I. And again, now I'm worried I'm sounding reductive because it's like, ah, you only watched it because you're in a pandemic. Like, well, no, like a lot of those are, I guess I'm going to settle on heartwarming as the adjective. And we, I think, in our media, focus a lot more on negative emotions than on positive ones. Yeah, like the 
that the a lot of the Oscar bait movies tend to be darker or unsettling in some way. The movies and the the media that we uh, ingest, it's like got to have some sort of dark aspect to it. Yeah, because that makes it more realistic because things yeah. don't have a happy ending. Uh, yeah, wake me up inside. Um <laughs> But so I can, but yeah, I, I I can see how maybe I sort of missed a step not exposing myself to more like positive and charming things like that. So I, I mean, in like I, the way you're curious about playing Hitman, I might give this a look. Yeah, yeah. And I think one of the things that sets the Pixar movies apart is that there are story beats and and developments within them that aren't quite as on the nose as a typical Disney movie there's and there's more adult themes i guess to them of a, like you know disappointment and failure and which doesn't sound it sounds the opposite of why we were praising it, but like those are our themes and and it's how people deal with them and and uh grow from them and that is something that Luca has and like the the, the I don't know. It just really worked for me. Fair. Okay, what's your number two? My number two is the Marvel streaming on Disney Plus. So okay. you had this down at your number four. I had it a lot higher. Uh, the now these especially we spent a lot of time on in our episodes <laughs> in twenty twenty one. So if you want to hear our thoughts on those, it's there. We um, will again, is, too. <laughs> well, yeah, but, I mean, this is, like, I decided to lump them all into a single block. The WandaVision, uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, What If, and Loki, specifically. Uh, okay, but, so you, you didn't, you're not counting Hawkeye in there. Well, Hawkeye is still going. Um, Fair enough. Yeah. It, uh, it's, all, it's already not my favorite, but I'm sure we'll talk about that later. Okay. Uh, once it's finished. But... Man, I mean, you'll hear. You had it at your number four. Why don't you start, and then I can ask you why it's all the way down there, and compare it to why I have it so high on mine. Okay. Well, the the it's whenever you have this many series all together, you're going to have some highs and lows in there, and and that's partly why it's lower on my list for me. Um, but it's it was fun. It's like a, a, a one long continuing story, and that's not really something we've had in this fashion from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And there have been previous Marvel TV shows like Peggy Carter and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but those always felt MCU adjacent. Like, they tied in, but they were also very much their own thing. This felt like the continuing adventures of those movies, and as we've had however many like over 20 movies now in that that franchise we've all learned that you've got to see each one and they can stand on their own but it is a continuing story and these tv shows all fit into that same pattern you you feel like you have to watch them in order to stay on top of the continuing story of the marvel universe and so it's it's a fun ride and it's i enjoyed watching them i felt especially doing the show that I was sort of obligated to watch them. But even within that obligation, I enjoyed them. Uh, Some episodes were better than others. um, And some of the series were better than others, but all of it was that uniformly good quality of the Marvel universe. And 
I just like being part of that, especially as someone who grew up reading and watching Marvel stuff, comic books and cartoons. I've always loved the Marvel Universe more than any of the other cinematic or comic book universes. The X-Men, the Avengers, the Fantastic Four, that's all very much my jam. And so to have TV series and movies, I, I feel sort of spoiled getting able getting to say that I don't like some of them as much as the others. You know, when I was watching the X-Men as a kid, I would have... It's all you got. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I love that show. But if that show were on now, I don't know that I would love it as much because there's just so much to to consume and it's hard for it to rate in comparison with this other content. So, yeah. Ultimately, I really liked it, but it's... um, just uniformly good, and that's why it's lower on the the list for me. Right. Okay, yeah, I can see exactly where we defer here. Um, for the record, everything you said, I 100% agree. I, like, I've enjoyed almost all of them, and I loved some of them. Um, and the Marvel Universe in particular, such a big thing for, for so long. Uh, the trick in my case, what propelled it up the list too, is that... I was kind of losing the faith after after Endgame. Uh, we had Endgame. We had the big finale. We had like the the throwback to eleven years of Marvel movies, and then you know the big credits thing. They do the undiscovered country signatures, and I <laughs> sort of wiped my hands and said, "Okay, I'm done." Right. That's it. Right. And then like Spider Man versus Mysterio came out, and we went to see it, and I was like, "Eh, it was fine. It was a good movie, but like." But I'm done. I've done this. Like, I, after Infinity War, what else are they going to do? And, and yeah, a lot of the Marvel movies since then, yeah, eh, eh, eh. So I was, like, checking out. And then WandaVision started. And in, like, initially those first few episodes were, like, kind of kooky and mysterious. And I liked them. But then it turned into this incredible character romance about grief and trauma and just being so heartsick for these characters. And I was blown away. And by the end of WandaVision, that became my like my new favorite way to get Marvel content. And more Marvel movies have come out since then, and they've been fine. I liked Shang-Chi. I really didn't like Eternals, but they've essentially been non-events. But like WandaVision and Loki in particular, I thought parts of those were breathtaking. And that's coming from a guy who doesn't watch a lot of TV. So for me, the reason why it went up so much in my list is because I felt I felt like the Marvel formula was getting stale. I felt like I was done eating this. I was going to go order something else from the menu. And instead they said, here, try this. And I am enthusiastically back into it to the point that I really want to see more of these smaller character-focused streaming shows than I want to see superhero origin number 57. This time he's, you know, this time he's from India or whatever. Right, right. Well, you know, the the new Spider-Man movie is going to be back to characters we already know and and a, a big drama and uh continuing with the the multiverse story that they seem to have started with WandaVision. So I'm excited to see what that is like, especially on a big screen. But going back to this and and part of the reason it's not high on my list is 
that I just don't know how often I'm going to go back and rewatch it. And in an era of like constantly new TV shows and movies and things to capture our attention and so much access to it all, it's something has to be really good to make me go back and watch it again. And yeah, but that has m- more to do with moving the goalposts than it does the like the quality of the content, right? I mean, and I, I do have concerns about that. They're just, releasing well, a lot of stuff. Just well, go back again. What do you mean moving the goalposts? Like it's I I probably won't go back to watch WandaVision, not because I didn't like it, but it's just because they're pouring so much more stuff out. That if I go back to watch old shows, the new shows are going to pile up and I'm going to be buried in them like an avalanche. Right. I don't think it's the content's fault. It's just this unstoppable, super capitalist media machine that I can't destroy. (laughs) Right? Like, that's not (laughs) the fault of the content. Yeah, I agree. And especially with all these streaming services and their huge back catalogs. um, You know, when I first started getting into movies and DVDs and things like that, I there was a limited supply, and so I would watch the same movie over and over again, and now it's like, if I've watched it once, that's it. I've I've seen it, and now i got to move on to something else. And, and I don't know that I like that. I kind of miss the days of watching something <laughs> over and over again and really digging into it. Yeah, and I don't like that there's, like, so much that they're expecting me to pay attention to. I mean, like, like I like I thought WandaVision was great, but I don't think Agatha Harkness needs her own show. That's insane, right? <laughs> and there's, like, like they're, they're, not only is there more what-if coming, but there's also a totally separate what-if zombies. And it's like, like, there's way too much here, guy. Like, you need to, like, this is what happened to Star Wars. You spread out too far and too fast, and everything just sort of crumbled, and I'm nervous about that. I, I uh, well, I agree, except I would say that Marvel has more experience spreading out than Star Wars did, uh, yeah, than Star Wars has ever had, um, at least on a big scale, and they've been, by and large, way more successful than they had any right to be, and that's why I'm like, I never thought, or never wanted, uh, never mind an Agatha Harkness TV series, I wouldn't have read an Agatha Harkness comic book. I'm just not that interested in the character. That said, I trust that the Marvel people have a plan, and I would not be at all surprised that this series starts and I get sucked into it. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try it. But yeah, I guess, so yeah, long, long in the short of it, like, yeah, it, it blew my mind a little more than yours, but we can both agree that like it's that's a twenty twenty one highlight for sure. The the Disney Marvel streaming stuff is like like that's that 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 is like, like a like a hmm, a foot not a footnote that is like a historical change for the way they're delivering that. It's something we're going to remember. I think. I agree. I agree, and we'll see how it plays out in the upcoming material, and see if they do end up spreading themselves. Then I think part of the reason they were able to do these shows at the quality that they had was because the pandemic forced them to pause a lot of the work on the movies, and so this stuff ended up becoming the focal point of their their attention and and the audience's attention. Okay. Let's move on. I'm going to do my number one, and this is where we, we may have some uh, some controversy here between the two of us, yeah. but I will say that 
I, I, the idea of geek content and geek whatever is uh, stuff that you obsess over, right? Like you yeah, can geek it's, out. It, it's broad. You can you can be a geek about hood ornaments, right? Right. So with that in mind, uh, my number one is the TV show Ted Lasso, and. Part of the reason I'm counting it for this Geek Top 5 list is, as I said with in the last thing, there's not many things that I will go back and rewatch anymore, you know? I'll put on old episodes of Star Trek while I'm doing other things. It I, There are movies I've watched a couple of times or will rewatch after many, many years. I've watched the two seasons of Ted Lasso, the 22 episodes, at least three times each. Every episode. and Where do you find the time? <laughs> they're half-hour episodes, so they're easily digestible. But largely, I'll have them on while I'm doing other stuff. But I find I get absorbed. And the first time I watch, it has my full attention. But with the rewatches, it's been while I've been doing other things. But it's so comforting. And it's not a saccharine show. I, I think it has sort of this uh, uh, reputation at this point of being overly sweet or cheesy but it really isn't. There are darker themes to it, and, and again, I we don't we already talked about with the Luca thing. Just because something's dark doesn't mean it's better. But there, it's it's not just all sunshine and roses. People have problems, and it's about how you deal with those problems and the leaning on friends and the the uh, relationships and and how you handle those relationships make you a better person. And it just. I it's it was as much as Luca was a great antidote to a lot of pandemic stuff. This was exactly what I needed. It is the sort of thing I can just put on no matter what's happening. And it will make me feel better. I think about the world in general, not just so, the pandemic, but just everything. And it's so can also I get, hilarious. Can I get just like the back of the box? Like, uh, yeah, the back of the box is not going to appeal to you. <laughs> I will tell you that much. The back of the box is he's a an American football coach who's being hired to coach a English soccer team. And, you know, it's like, oh, the comedy of a fish out of water thing at first. At first glance, that's what it's about. Him not understanding how offside works. And, oh, he's a guy from Kansas who's in London. And he doesn't know what you call a cigarette there. And, boy, that's going to cause some consternation when he learns what that word is. But it gets so much deeper. Like, he's you barely see him coaching. And he's just there kind of helping his team become better people. And he is also dealing with stuff under the surface that gets uh, dealt with towards the end of season one and throughout season two. And uh, it, it started as a bit years ago uh, for English soccer commercials. And to take this one note character, this one note fish out of water thing and add all these layers like his marriage is falling apart and, and how he's dealing with that and these panic attacks that he has and also mentoring these young men as they are, deal with the changes in their lives of becoming professional soccer players and some of them are aging out of that and have to find new careers. It's just really a a, a wonderful show about growing up in so many ways in adulthood. I mean, you speak about it with passion. You're right. Nothing about that makes me go, huh, that sounds interesting. <laughs> um, is it geeky? I guess you could say, like, there are TV geeks. It probably doesn't fall under the umbrella that most of the content we discuss 
is sort of looped in too. Uh, but I can't say because I've never seen it. It uh, it is one of the rare things that is completely outside the Venn diagram of our overlapping <laughs> interests. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that's true. And uh, it took me a long time to to put it on. I kept hearing great things about it, and I knew it was from people that I I respected their opinions and and. It still, I had this free Apple TV trial for ages, and I never watched anything with it. And finally, towards the end of it, I was like, well, I better see this before this trial ends, just so I can say that I tried it. And it hooked me so fast and so hard, and it made me re-up the subscription, and I have watched... This is like one of two Apple TV shows that I watch, and I have watched it so many times. I have very much taken advantage of that the the subscription just with Ted Lasso. It's so like I'm happy for you, man. That's all <laughs> thank you. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> I think you should give it a shot if you get the chance. I don't know that it'll be your thing. I but if you I stick can with promise it promise <laughs> you that I could say I would and I will forget about it before we finish recording tonight. <laughs> Totally fair. Okay, moving on. What's your number one? Uh, my number one, not, I mean, pretty polar opposite. Uh, my number one geeky thing of 2021 uh, was season two of Star Trek Lower Decks. Okay, that was on my list and, and got nudged off just before uh, go time here. Eh, just How could it compare to Ted Lasso, apparently? <laughs> um no, uh, started in August and wrapped a couple months later. Um, ten episodes, Star Trek Lower Decks. We talk about it in depth again in some episodes in our back catalog this year. Give it a listen. But, I mean, first off, this show is perfectly specifically targeted to me. It's about people who love Star Trek, who are in Star Trek, and also have really bizarre senses of humor and deal with strange situations. It can't get any more targeted than that, but I think the highlight of it is that first part where at the end of the day, when I'm describing what Lower Decks is to people, I say it's about loving Star Trek. And I always think back to the the first episode of the first season when Mariner and Boimler start, like, she realizes all of a sudden this is someone she can get along with, and it's instantly, ooh, have you heard of Spock? Like, have you heard of Sulu? Have you heard of this guy? Like, wanting to share their passions with each other. I actually had that happen to me in real life once, like, when I met this person who was, like, just as into Star Wars as I was, and we spent, like, two hours going, did you read this book, and did you like this ship, and all that. It's that, but they're also on the ship. <laughs> and it's a comedy, and it's about like another side of Starfleet we don't see, and it has all this other stuff. We talk about it. But at the end of the day, Star Trek Lower Decks is a wonderful way to share my love of Star Trek with people. And the first season was great, and I loved it. But like, where can they go from here? And season two was also great. They like they had a very loose arc that they touched on occasionally and then just had these like insane episodes of like we take a Star Trek thing and we twist it just a little and how would you deal with it if you're the kind of person who like read the next generation episode guide when you were a kid. 
<laughs> right? So they like they have Kayshawn on there, like they they have from the from the famous Next Generation episode Darmok, right? They they have the they have the, the bridge crew always come back with Jax. They they have Agamus. They got Jeffrey Combs in to do a voice. The like Boimler's Armus joke. Yeah, it was a great Armist joke. <laughs> oh, God. The, uh, yeah, we're just going to quickly list all the different times that we laughed at this show now. <laughs> uh, the Boimler doing the Borg drill over and over, like not satisfied until he gets 100%. Like he starts off by rescuing the Borg babies, and then we cut back, and he's like, he summoned a Starfleet ship and rescued a bunch of drones and blows up the cube. And it's still like 89. Ah, and then uh, Wedge the Three Ships episode, which is. One of the most tightly written 22 minutes of television I think I've ever seen, where they introduce two new ships, um, two major new characters, and a bunch of supporting characters for them as well, and still have it as this intricate arc where everything all weaves together and it it feels so natural and part of the universe. Lower Decks, on the whole, is one of the best things that has happened to me during the pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, and I thought season two was great, and I'm dying for the next season, and I'm dying to try to find, like, a model of the Cerritos, and I've got the Ritos, like, disco parody shirt, which is great, because not only is it a celebration of Lower Decks, but it's thumbing its nose at Discovery. That's also directly targeted <laughs> to me. I lowered, when I think back to good things that happened during quarantine, like, Lower Decks, I think, will always top that list. I I agree, and I do love Lower Decks. I am kind of surprised it's it's this high on yours, given our review, where you seem to be struggling with some of the raunchier humor of this season, and, and as with the first season, it took a little while to get going, but one, I agree, once it got going, those, the last half of the season was fantastic, and they're great, and I like the raunchy jokes, more than than you did, and uh, it's still I I I it didn't quite make the list, but it was in tight contention there right up until we started recording. So I respect it. I'm I have to again say I'm surprised that it's uh, this high on your list, but uh, you know I'm I'm I I do really love it, and I I do love I would watch Lower Decks again far sooner than I would watch some of the other stuff that we've seen. I far like before I would watch a lot of other Star Trek again. Yeah, um, true. And, and yeah, there were a couple episodes that eh, I don't know about that one joke, or I don't know about this one plot. But overall, no, even more than the experience. Overall, just the concept that something like it exists. It's such a celebration of so many of my interests at once, and it's a wonderful way to celebrate the series. And every once in a while, I talk to somebody who hates it. It's like, oh, it's, uh, this isn't what Star Trek is supposed to be, and the ship looks stupid. And it's like, man, you were, like, here's me telling you you're taking Star Trek too seriously? <laughs> like, this is about the love. Is it, this is about the people who boldly go out into public wearing Starfleet uniforms. Like, that's yeah. uh, that's above my pay grade in terms of fandom, <laughs> even. I um, saw someone online who who I generally respect, but he was like, "Oh, why are they always screaming on that show?" And it's like that's that's just the kind of show it is, man. If you can't get past that and just enjoy it for what it is, then I I don't know what to tell you. It's there like there are people who 
who value a like a constructed complicated opinion over joy <laughs> yeah it, it's like sometimes just have joy <laughs> you know and this is the most joy that i think has ever been in star trek uh, to quote um uh, ted lasso character mucho mucho joy okay <laughs> no, that's that's good uh, anyway uh, I, all we're doing now is is vamping about Lower Decks. You can hear more about that in our previous episodes. But that was my number one. So a couple of overlaps. But uh, on the whole, that uh, you know, that was 2021, the way we saw it here on Geek Top 5. Uh, like I said, a lot of that stuff we've talked about more in depth in previous episodes. Uh, so please, uh, if you haven't heard them, feel free to go back and check it out. Uh, especially as considering this is going to be our last episode for the year. Uh, if you're hearing this, it is past the 19th of December, which means it's almost Christmas. Um, or whatever you celebrate. Hanukkah was way earlier, but, you know, in my family, Hanukkah, Christmas, whatever. It, uh, but happy holidays to you. We are going to take some time off to celebrate, to see our friends and family and relax, and we will be back in January. Um, so just wanted to say thank you for tuning in with us this year. Um, whether you're just a casual listener or a member of the community or the kind of people who keep sending us criticism, you know, critical emails, it's this year is, as it's not been my favorite, but we have found a lot of cool things to do in it, and it's always better to celebrate that as a group. So, if you had one of those criticisms or questions or comments or just other things that you just wanted to say, hey, good job, guys, we'd love to hear it. Graham, how can they get that stuff to us? Please email us at geektop5 at gmail.com. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash geektop5. We're on Twitter at geektop5. You can also go to geektop5.com and leave comments on every episode. They have their own page with comment boards. And you can also go to your podcatcher of choice and rate and review us on there. Those ratings and reviews make a huge difference. They tell us a ton about how the podcast is being listened to and where and when and etc. Um, if there are things about the podcast that are bothering you, that's how we can get feedback to, to fix it up. So whatever you can submit to us would be greatly appreciated. Thank you for that. And thank you just for tuning in. While we're giving out thanks, I uh, also want to offer our thanks again to Oliver Wickham, uh, the guy behind our theme song. Uh, he's got a Spotify page where a bunch of the music he has produced is up there. He is supremely talented. If you're looking for other stuff to, you know, just uh, to pa even just pass the time, that's definitely worth your attention. Otherwise, um, there is a back catalog of the stuff. I mean, going a ways back, but certainly 2021, we have had some really amazing episodes, some really amazing guests, some wild draft competitions. It's been a heck of a year. There is plenty of stuff there if you haven't heard it uh, that is absolutely worth your time. And it'll keep you company over the holidays until we get a chance to, to do this again. So until January, I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And this has been Geek Top 5. We'll talk to you again in 2022.